A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to The Guinea Pig. I'm Dr. Mariam Zamani, an oculoplastic surgeon and aesthetic doctor. And I'm Fiona Golfer, a writer and journalist. I'm no stranger to a cosmetic procedure, and I'm willing to try pretty much anything. Which is why I'm here to make sure Fiona and anyone else that's out there considering a treatment to help make a better informed decision safely and to try and collect as much information as they can. Every fortnight, this podcast comes to you from Mariam's Clinic in Chelsea. If you're looking for an honest, no-holds-barred approach to invasive and non-invasive cosmetic surgery, then the guinea pig is here to help you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the guinea pig. We are super excited to introduce our next guest. I am not going to reveal who he is yet. I'll let Fiona do that. It's like having secret Santa on, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Anyone who's listened to this podcast will know that one of my favorite stories is that I was driving in my car one day and I pulled over because my daughter was calling me, my daughter Molly, who you all know from her non-invasive nose job. And I was talking to Molly on Skype and holding my phone up and Molly said to me, like all good daughters, she said, oh, mum, you know what? Your neck looks like a vagina. And I had a nervous breakdown on the spot. So having been dealt that fatal blow by my daughter and her sweet words, there was nothing for it but to get on the phone and make an appointment to go and see the incredible Rajiv Grover, who I'm thrilled to say is here with us today. Hello, Rajiv. Welcome to The Guinea Pig. Here Thank you are. Thank you for joining Thank us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Excited to be here. I think, in fact, you might be the inspiration for The Guinea Pig, because I think... It was all happening then. Yeah, it was all happening, and I was, you know, the idea of being able to talk openly about having these kind of procedures, and you were my, you know, you were my go-to... Plastic surgeon. Yeah. Facial plastic surgeon. Facial plastic surgeon. And so this idea of being able to talk openly and honestly about procedures and what's available... I think maybe was sort of, for me, was definitely born from my experience with you. So, Rajiv, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you look at the beautiful, like the beauty of the face and the harmony. Um, I have great respect for you because there are a lot of people who you, for instance, say they're not ready quite yet to have uh, surgery on themselves. And I'd like, when you look at somebody... We'll talk to talk about fees experience, but what do you look at when you look at them and say, you know what, this is the time for you to have surgery versus not to have surgery? So that's a very that's a very big question. First of all, I assume nothing because I'm there to listen to what the patient has to say. And there's a classic story that you're all told at medical school, which is that when somebody comes in and they've got a big mole on their face. And you say, oh, how can I help you with that mole? And they say, actually, doctor, I've come about my shoulder. (laughs) So you must never assume anything in medicine. And actually, what you really need to do is listen to the patient. So first thing I say is, how can I help you? What's troubling you? Listen to what bothers them. So I don't really want to put any ideas into their head that they're not conscious of. Why make them upset about something that they're happy with at the moment? Once I've got that, then the most important thing is the medical history, because Fortunately, no one's ever died of loose skin in the neck, but people have died trying to have loose skin in the neck treated. So the most important thing is safety, looking after the patient as you would want your sister or mother looked after. And it's funny how the number of times you go through the medical history in someone that looks absolutely fine, you find out there's all kinds of things going on that maybe they didn't realize were so significant or maybe they're diabetic or they're smokers. Once you've got to the bottom of the fact that they're fit and healthy 
then you can assess the face. When I come to look at the face, most people aren't trying to be somebody else. They want to be a little bit more like who they were and they want to keep the character of their face and that's really important to them. Twice in my career I've been asked by secret services to try and make someone look like someone different but on the whole people don't come in requesting that. <laughs> so how do I go about assessing them? God I'm dying to know who. I know me too. Dying to know who, sorry. <laughs> I think it's one of those things that if I were to say this I, my life would have to end. This, that would be the end. Um, but if we try to assess what one should try and do to make someone look in a natural way younger or better looking I use photographs of themselves taken from their youth as the guide because this really gives me a clue not just how it would be to make them look natural but also how they've aged because aging isn't just about gravity and gravity is the only bit that we can treat by lifting actually you can age also by volume loss which happens before gravity kicks in. So from about the age of 40, they lose volume in the mid-face. That's absolutely Mariam's territory, and that's because so much can be done to help with aging and to slow down aging non-surgically that actually, let's be realistic, only a small number of people would be thinking of having a facelift or a surgical neck lift. But volume is one thing. Gravity is another. Gravity is the area that we can treat, but there's also bone loss. And this affects the lower face, and can affect how the jaw fits with the upper jaw and therefore gives the appearance of jowls or loose skin that aren't so well treatable. Only by knowing this can you see if someone's actually going to benefit from the surgery. And also, you then find out what would be the best way to get them back to how they used to look. So bone loss is sort of deterioration of bone? or Yeah, well this is interesting. We don't, we don't, really, we don't really understand bone loss so well. You'd think we would. Because... Actually, sometimes the art world is ahead of the science world. Science likes to think it's ahead of the arts, but in actual fact, if we go back to the drawings of Leonardo da Vinci, and we're in September, but actually in October is the 500th anniversary of his death, so it's being celebrated by all the great museums in the world. And in fact, drawings of his that are in the Royal Collection, which will be visible in Buckingham Palace, actually show that he analysed the face in terms of proportions, in terms of the bony structure, and he, he actually had done lots of drawings of skulls. And if you see his drawings of skulls taken from youth and from adults, he totally got how there was bone resorption. But this has an effect on the outside of the face. So it's sort of sh sh shrinkage? Yeah, the so the, it's the area of bone that surrounds the teeth. So the upper jaw mm -hmm. is called the maxilla, and the lower jaw called the mandible. Particularly this area... This changes. It the loses, lower jaw. It, it loses yeah. height, it loses diameter, it recedes. So when we look at our youthful yes. pictures and we all have that kind of Kate Moss look. The angular, we all have the that Kate Moss look. So we've all got one picture yes. in the album that looks like Kate Moss. <laughs> yeah. And we all like to show that one. That's our yeah. profile picture for Facebook, <laughs> of course, however old it is. But as the bone resorbs, you, you lose tension on the voice box. So this uh, underneath uh, the chin that area that should be horizontal becomes slopey, a shorter length, and because the voice box drops, it kind of gives this curved look. And these are areas we can't change. But, that, goodness me, there's so much that women can do. I say women because 99% of my patients are women, so I focus on that area. But there's so much that can be done. Just like you think about calcium and vitamin D metabolism for your spine, for your hip, you know, if you start taking these supplements early in life, from the 30s, 40s onwards, you're actually going to look better. Really? So, so you, you, can uh, you can preserve your bone Well, there's not much that quality. you can do to preserve bone that's something you can manipulate. So a lot of what is to do with bone we are not in, is, isn't in our hands. Right. So if you're, it could be because of familial ageing, which is genetic, so you can lose bone from a reason that's not controllable. It could be because of hormonal changes. It could be because of dental issues. It could be because of environmental things that we take in, like vitamin D, like calcium. Now, there's not much we can do about many of those things, but we certainly can do about calcium and vitamin D. So when people are worried about osteoporosis, osteopenia, it actually has an effect on the face too. So don't just take it, I mean, for goodness sake, if you, don't, if you lose height from the spine, you can get backache, you can get all kinds of problems, you can fracture your hip, 
these are really serious things. But when I tell people that they can look better, suddenly they're actually more excited. <laughs> they're, they're remarkable. Do you take calcium? I do. It's, oh, uh, my gosh. dad's an orthopedic surgeon, and so that's the one thing that he's always sort of ingrained that you, I don't take it every single day, but I take it more days than I'm once. I'm looking across the room at right Mariam's jaw. I can practically see the calcium exuding from her <laughs> mandible there. But, but he's always recommended from a very young age to, to take calcium and vitamin D. In America, you look they at have my nice jaw. Well, you can't look at it in a disappointed way because you made it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, I can but look at my own and be disappointed. Did she That's take calcium? Look at Mariam's. I think she's no. something like Kate Moss. Yes. Oh, well, thank Mariam's you. I'm not quite sure about a that. Very, but, um, so. very good example of of almost everything really oh Marianne. my what can gosh I tell you? oh You're perfect. i'm blushing let's move on but to you the did next. say to me actually when i first came to see you you said i'm i can't turn you into kate moss i was furious but <laughs> you and and you gave me very clear explanation for why not and you explained about the voice box be you know some people's voice boxes are further forward i seem to remember you saying so yes. you don't get the sharp angle which i think you've probably got a much sharper angle to your jaw naturally than i have mariam i don't know if it's because of your voice box raj will be able to tell us but um definitely you gave me very clear expectations about what i could have or what my jaw would look like because so so what what happened when well, I'm going to go back for one second. Yeah. So when Fiona came in, Fee, what did you go in complaining about other than the fact <laughs> that your neck was slightly distorted? Actually, I was very aware of, of two things. One was that I had this very flappy quality to the skin on my chin, sort of from my chin down into my neck. I've always had, Creepy. I always used to say, my mother's skin on my face and my grandmother's skin on my neck. So much, much crepier quality skin to my neck. My, my, my facial skin remained very good and very kind of juicy and hydrated and I didn't worry about that so much, but my neck was definitely very, very crepey and, and it made me unhappy. So I didn't go in actually asking for anything I, I i think i came in and said this is what i'm unhappy with and then rajiv very realistically examined my face that was the and what did you find for <laughs> fee's case anyway well there's there's actually such nice features there but if one's aged and there is a significant element of gravity then there isn't really a good non-surgical solution to try and improve that I always try and do the simplest thing first why go for something complex and risky when you can do something really easy? So if there is a non-surgical solution, then I, I like that. And, and I, I happily refer my patients to Mariam, who I really like her work. It's very artistic. So Thank you. Uh, if one's going to do surgery, Picasso of her. It, uh, it's a big deal. It is and, a big and deal. And the thing is that if, you, if you're going to advise a, a, about surgery, you've got to give the patient an absolute clear picture in their mind what they're likely to get. Because as I say to people... This is a shop where there's no returns. What, what, once you've had something like this done, it's done, and we really want to be sure that you're going to be happy, and we need to know that before, not that it is something nebulous that we might be happy with afterwards or not. So creating a picture in the patient's mind that's realistic and honest is really important. Now, Rajiv wasn't the first surgeon that I'd been to see about my neck, so probably I'd, I'd seen about three people over a period of about 10 years because I had always noticed that when I turned my head to the left or the right, I saw this sort of long band, band of skin. And I remember being in New York and seeing a very famous um, face uh, doctor in New York. And he said, you look fine. And I said, OK. And then he said, look to the left. And I looked to the left. He said, no, you don't look fine. So the minute I moved and he could see this sort of band of skin move, it was, you know, he could see what it was that I, uh, but front on, I think I looked OK. Um and I'd seen him and he was a very nice guy, but I didn't feel ready and I didn't want to be operated on in New York. I was in my mid 40s. I didn't feel it was really the time. And then I saw somebody else in London. And what was interesting was I went in and I felt like I was in some kind of movie because this doctor was like, oh, it's going to be fabulous. And I'm going to give you the Y lift and the this lift and the vampire that. And I was thinking, oh, and even then I thought, OK, I'll do it because I was in such a sort of state. You were. I think it just hits your adrenaline and it's the promise of everything. And, you know, we're going to take it from the back of the neck and we're going to yank you up and you're going to look unbelievable and I put a deposit down 
And I got home and I thought, I'm insane. What have I just done? Can I have my deposit back? I don't want to go to somebody. I'm impressed that you actually had the clarity of mind in your excitement to, to, to go not, back. Because I do think that a lot of women, and now I think I'm very typical of, <laughs> of that, is it, it, there's this promise of something, you know, it's all going to be fixed and we can do it and it's all going to be fabulous. And when I did come to my senses, thank God, I'm surrounded by a lot of quite sensible people. I don't think I saw, I think I saw, I met you, Rajiv, about five years later. And what really struck me about Rajiv is that you were so, well, you can tell from the way that he he speaks, you were so clear and you were so cautious. And I know you don't see people under 50, I believe. Is that right? Or you you don't like to really... It's rare that somebody under 50 has enough that will be worthwhile going under the whole thing it's a journey yes. it's a it's a it's a journey that's physical emotional and financial yeah, yeah i'm from the north of england yes. we like value for money yeah it needs to stack up <laughs> and, and i'm this a is real worthwhile. person not and you know i i i, it, I i'm a journalist i was going to pay for this i don't earn an enormous wage and i was i was so struck by how considered you were and how realistic you were and how you managed my expectations about what it was going to look like, how long it was going to take, how hard I should think about it once we'd finished talking. Um, I felt so immediately safe. And the difference between you and, and, and the other doctors that I saw was just extreme. It was really amazing to me. Well, I always hear that when I hear of compliments with Rajiv in, in the demeanor. But I'd like you to talk us through a little bit of the journey. So when someone comes in, you evaluate them. I agree, it's very hard to, to you know, if someone comes to me and says, oh, what do you think I should do? I, I think if I give them any, I, I know that my own insecurities have come from other people's unwarranted observations, uh, observations yeah. of me that all of a sudden have now been in, embedded in my mind. So I, I agree that's always the best way to go. You should fix what bothers you. But if someone comes and they say they want to have a lower facelift or in fees uh, situation, a neck lift and a neck slash lower facelift, can you talk us through the process of what happens and and maybe a little bit about the procedure, not technically, but you know, sometimes people ask about whether this is more just skin or if it's muscle and skin, different different aspects of it. So just a little bit of clarity in that. Sure. So the way in which the surgery is done, and they've been doing facelifting, the first one was done in 1916, so it's over 100 years old. For most of that time, the way in which it was done was just to pull the skin. And that really belies how we understand the aging process because it's not just skin deep we know that even going to the bone so it certainly involves the soft tissue underneath the skin if we look back at some of the very famous facelifts that were done in the past and there are pictures of um, the Duke of Windsor and there are pictures of John Paul Getty the first who was the richest man the first billionaire ever so these people had the wherewithal to have the best treatment that was possible if you actually look at photographs of them, they have this tight look, which, which becomes very narrow in the lower face, typical of what you get if you only pull the skin and don't uh, deal with the soft tissue. So it wasn't really until the 19, mid-1970s that anatomy caught up with this and we discovered a layer in the face called the SMAS, which is effectively the muscle and fatty layer under the skin. And this goes down, this drops down too, The way I explain this to patients is, think of the skin as a bed cover. Think of the soft tissue in the face like the duvet. Before you go to bed, of course, everything's lovely and smooth. By the time you've woken up in the morning, everything's ruffled up down the bottom end. And that slipping down the bed is what the soft tissue in skin is doing in the face. It's slipping down, giving heaviness in the mid-face above the nose-to-mouth lines, in the jowls, and in the neck. Imagine... If we lifted the skin and only lifted the skin, that would be similar to in the morning, you're making the bed, you're only pulling the bed cover up. Is the duvet not down the bottom? Does it not give a a whole load of ruffled tissue underneath at the bottom of the bed? Of course it does. So what you do, sensibly, is you lift up the bed cover, you reposition the duvet, and then you reposition the bed cover as well. 
Why did it take us 80 years to think we need to do that in the face? We can, we can only speculate. But essentially, you need to reposition the soft tissue in the face, which is the SMAS, and then do the skin, and that's how you get a natural look, and you're rejuvenating the shape. Let's rewind 500 years. This is again when, when Leonardo was teaching his, his students of art how to make the face look younger. It wasn't about the cover. It wasn't about the skin wrinkles. It wasn't about um, the folds. It was the shape of the face. So unless you get the shape of the face right, that's how you actually show whether someone's young. If we look at some of the pictures of Matisse and of um, Picasso, they're able actually with just a few lines to draw something that you can obviously think is an old face or a young face. And that's because they're focusing on the shape. And it's the shape that we want to treat as surgeons because that really makes someone look younger, not just a tighter version of an old person. The shape. The shape. So by lifting the duvet, as it were, you can reshape Precisely. The, the structure. Because the duvet slipped down right. and that's what really so is giving that's what's giving the volume in the jowl, the heavy the mid face, the loose tissue in the neck. It's not just skin. Mm -hmm. So you need to address both layers. So if we're thinking about the reality of this happening to a person, what does it actually involve? It will mean having to come to hospital. Uh, I like to keep people in for two nights. I mean, they could go the day after surgery, but as I say, if I happened to, if I was doing this for my wife or mother, they'd go, they'd feel a bit shaky the next day. Why not have an extra night and feel really sturdy? Mm -hmm. So you come into hospital in the morning and you're going to have an operation that you're asleep for, but it's a light general anaesthetic. And that means that you're asleep for the three hours of the surgery, but when you wake up, usually within two, three hours of waking up, people are sitting up, they're watching television, they're having a drink, chatting. So it's not a heavy anaesthetic, it's a light one. Um, they have a light bandage on the sides of their face, which um, they keep on overnight. I come, I always do this personally, so I come in the next morning, I cut the bandage off and we have a look in the mirror. Together. We had a reveal, I remember. We had a reveal. We the had reveal, a reveal. The reveal exciting. is very important because... Mm. Actually, you're going to get a little bit swollen over the next few days. And it's really nice to see before the swelling comes how this is going to look so I, that you yeah. are reassured. Hey, it looks good. It's OK. It's still me. And then if it gets a little bit swollen, which is temporary, you're not anxious or worried because you've seen the baseline. Um, and the less bruising, the better the surgeon. I'm you know told, because I, I have I, no bruising, I'm just saying. I, th I think mm -hmm. techniques have changed and our ability to reduce bruising and swelling is so much better yeah. and you know what the good work of people like Mariam and the non-surgical world it's raised the bar you know if we look back at the type of surgery that was going on 20-30 years ago people being bruised and swollen yes black and blue that's they're, what black they're not going yeah. to accept that yeah. because, because Mariam has raised the bar so high yeah. they come into me expecting to look good yeah. and they want Mariam standing it's all about you Mariam no, no but I actually <laughs> think that that's, the, that's the, also a little bit difficulty you should expect with any surgery there is always a bit of swelling and bruising and no, I, that, yes. you know, but of course now in the world of uh, immediacy everybody wants immediate gratification if you are bruised it, yeah, it, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm saying that Mariam's raised the bar, but here's the challenge for Mariam. The challenge for me is they want surgery done with a non-surgical type recovery. Yes. The challenge for Mariam is they want the non-surgical treatment to deliver the surgical yes, result. Yes, exactly. So, so you're both the, screwed, aren't we, you? We both, we, yeah. You're both screwed. We, we both have our challenges. <laughs> but, but Mariam, you, because you do work on eyes and you operate on eyes, I'm curious because I, I, I feel that eyes bruise more. Um, not necessarily, no. Yeah. I mean, most surgeries are relatively bloodless the way that they're done for myself um, for upper and lower blepharoplasty. Having said that, you know, there's everybody in their medical history sometimes can yeah. affect whether you have bruising or not. But uh, as Rajiv said, there are some things that we do to minimize um, bruising and swelling uh, intra and post-operatively. So, uh, you know, patient aftercare is really important, I'm sure, for you. You know, I remember you were not able to... You, you did very well. You didn't exercise. You know, you followed Rajiv's... It was Wimbledon. I was glued to television. But I did bruise, actually. Now that I think about it, a few days later I bruised. More on one side than the other. But I remember at the time I'd fallen asleep and my head had lulled. And so there'd been more... Um, pressure on one side of my face but I also had a lot 
of what looked like broken capillaries, which you said was normal. So just so that the listener can know that it's something that you expect. I, I definitely had, and I think there's still, what are we, two years later, I'm kind of coming to the end of, I, I really got a lot of broken capillaries and a sort of pins and needlesy sensation in my cheeks for, for, for quite a long time. So there's a few things into preparing a patient they need to know. You're lifting the skin yeah. over a reasonably substantial area of the face and little nerves come up through the tissue into the skin to supply sensation. When you lift the skin, these invisible little nerves, they're mm. going to be divided and they have to grow back. And just as you would have an operation for a hernia or varicose veins, whenever you lift skin, these nerve endings are going to be divided. They grow back very slowly. And I say to people, this is going to take 18 months, maybe even two years for it to grow back. Yeah. And while it's growing back, these very sensitive new nerves are going to create sensations in your mind that aren't real, hmm. but that make it feel like either you've got tingling, pins and needles, sometimes the feeling of just something rubbing down the yes, face. That's all of you could sometimes get a tight feeling in the cheek or the neck if yeah. you've had exercise or you're feeling stressed, and sometimes sensitivity in the ear. The key thing is expect these they're all normal even if you're worried let me reassure you i'm not worried and if i'm not worried about something please you don't need to worry hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, but they are going to diminish over that period of time. And as they're diminishing, of course, your sensation is returning. Yeah. And, and by the end of the two-year period, you should have most of your sensation back. 97, 98% of people get full sensation back. This isn't a problem with hearing or moving the face. It's just if you touch the side of the cheek, it, it feels kind of feathery yes, a little bit. which now. you had prepared me for, I must say. Can we go back to the sort of when you... After you've operated and, and, you know, after I woke up, you had cut from behind the ear? Yeah, so where the incision, the actual, I mean, in a sense, we, we've got to make an incision to lift the skin. Yeah. And there's some surplus skin. So you can't remove surplus skin again without making an incision. Um, the way we make the incision in, as inconspicuous as possible is we're following the curves of the ear. So at the front... We can pretty much hide it so that people don't see this. But there's a small area right behind the ear where we're um, lifting the neck particularly, where it's possible if you've got your hair up in a high, tight ponytail, you might just need to keep a wisp or two to cover that. Mm. There's a famous story, which is that when you go to a cocktail party in Beverly Hills and a young man looks you in the eye, he's after romance. But if a young man looks you in the ear, he's a plastic surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Raj, I remember there were two incisions at the back, I want to say sort of at the back of my head. Here so I they were, yeah, the incisions the, behind, the neck, they're, they're going really, two, they're, two, they're yeah, in this the little scalp. area here, which is behind the ear, but they go into the hair for about a centimetre. Yes. So they don't go any further back than, I mean, you can't see this, I'm pointing, but we're just in the hair for a centimetre. We don't cut or shave any hair to do this while you're asleep. Obviously, I must be dual trained as a hairdresser because we have to put some gel into the hair. Yes. We separate where we're going to make the incision. And then in that line where we're going to make the incision, we, we part the hair either side and put a little ribbon in there so we can keep it away. 
Very stylish. Yeah. And then you do it... So this is my memory because it's a while ago now, but I remember that for a uh, about a week I had what seemed to... Staples. Yeah, so And we, I felt my we, face getting sort of tighter and tighter. So we, we want to put stitches in skin that is not hair-bearing mm. because we want this to be as inconspicuous as possible. And the stitches that we put in skin are under the skin like a snake so you don't see them on the outside and therefore we can just pull them out at two weeks but in scalp which is hair bearing the key thing is we don't want any reduction in blood supply to the hair follicles because if you reduce the blood supply of hair follicles there's a chance that those hairs fall out and they're going to grow back but we don't want that to happen and a staple is something that actually is not circumferential so you put it it's just like a Imagine mm. you're putting a staple into a piece of paper. You're stapling two bits. Of, actually, the two ends of the staple don't meet. So similarly, when you staple skin, you're putting something in that's not a full circumference. There's a gap between the two ends of the staple. And that actually means that there's no tension and there's blood that can come in because it's not strangulating an area of skin. So although some people think, oh gosh, I'm going to have staples... It's not put in because the surgeon's too lazy to stitch, because we stitch in a very time-consuming way elsewhere. But really, the key thing is nobody wants to lose any hair. No one want, wants to have any of the hair shaved or removed. So we want to do this so that basically as soon as you are finished, we can get back to normality with no hair loss. I must say, the thing I remember most is that I wasn't in pain. So it was at times uncomfortable, and there was a tightness, I think, as my skin started to repair. And I went home. I wore a, a sort of chin strap bandage that you gave me to wear for sort of up to, I think, four hours a day. I wore it about, but it was easy. I just was glued to a television with my chin. I quite liked my chin bandage. It was quite fashion, I felt. But I was never in pain. I was never sort of, I must take a, a painkiller or... Slight discomfort, I'd say, was the max. And that's amazing, I think. What do you recommend for your patients uh, post-operatively? So if they're thinking about having a lower facelift, what do they have to to anticipate as the recovery? So the real key here is not a painful operation. People are surprised when I say that. And actually, when I take the bandage off, I always ask them, are you in any discomfort? And they say, no, Dr. Grove, you're absolutely right. There wasn't any pain. I've just got a tight feeling in the neck. Yes. And I say, yes, madam, that's what you paid good money for. <laughs> um, and in fact, they genuinely, they go home on only paracetamol. Yeah. So it, it isn't a painful operation. But the key to getting a good result is that we want to try and control the process of swelling. If there was one thing I wish I could do with a magic wand, it would be to stop people swelling. There is no magic wand, but we know that we can mitigate or reduce that swelling if we do some of the following things. The key amongst all of them, and this is difficult because we're treating lovely, intelligent, beautiful people who therefore get bored. And what I want them to do is to go home, and as we say in the north of England, do booger all love, for two weeks. That means no housework, cooking, cleaning, hoovering, shopping, driving. I don't want to see you on the King's Road out shopping. I don't want to see you in Zuma or you know, the Arts Club having lunch. I want to make sure that you're just at home. I really, I just want to say, I excelled at that. <laughs> I really excelled at the doing nothing bit. Well, some people do it better than others. I had my husband running around like a blue-ass fly. I had the kids. They, were, I think I'd quite like to have a, 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 a facelift <laughs> once a year. Because it's around July, you know, June, July when the ten. It was so nice. I didn't move. Didn't move a muscle. And yeah. and I think that's because the the agitation of the body increases. Uh, yeah, I think swelling. the key is if you if you're rushing around, you swell. And that stretches the skin. Yeah. It's so important for people to prepare carefully. If you know that you're expected to do nothing and you prepare for it, it's not so boring. But you need to get your box sets in. You need to get magazines, books. Thankfully, Netflix has a new season of The Crown coming out this, this, this autumn. So <laughs> Everyone are, needs to have their neck done in November. <laughs> the, the, these are the things. I'm telling people, actually, the middle of it, I think it comes out on the 17th of November. People are desperate to have it done <laughs> around that, that time. I love that you know the date of the release of The Crown. That's well, so I funny. I love watching it. And actually, my pay, it's the one series that is the, the most watched post-facelift. Is it really? Yeah. 
I think if there was a, if there was a vote amongst my patients, what do they enjoy watching the most after a facelift? It's the crown. It's the crown. I'm just going to do a tiny shout out that my husband's the producer of the crown. I didn't know that. Didn't you know that? I did it. I did it. I, I, I genuinely didn't so know that. So when I come back for the next one, I'm going. Hopefully the seasons can run and run. He's one of the producers on it. Yeah, so that's I, very. Everyone's fun. going to think I said that, but yes, I genuinely no, I did not know that. Yes, no, I haven't even given you a bag of I cash. Didn't, I didn't even know that. Didn't either. you know that? No. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, it's very good. I love watching it. And honestly, my patient, in fact, I tell them they come. Interesting, they, they come to a hospital operating, it's called the King Edward the Seventh, mm. And there are certain scenes in the first series of The Crown that are actually, actually made there because that's where prime ministers abdicated and resigned after the Suez crisis, etc. And all of the, many of the scenes are actually around that hospital. So, so, of course, I love telling patients the stories about that. And, and I mean, it's history and it's drama. It's, it's wonderful. Mm. And art right. all together. Yes, so everybody so, tune in because I need to be able to force, afford a new <laughs> <laughs> So basically, two weeks of inactivity or relatively minimal, if any, activity. And then what else do you recommend afterwards for the so best aftercare? So they need to be sleeping slightly propped up. So if you are... You need, don't need to be vertical. You just need to be 30, 40 degrees. So... That's about, I'd say, 10 degrees per pillow. So if you have three, four pillows, that's good. People don't like to roll over. So there's a lovely V-shaped pillow that you can get from John Lewis or Peter Jones. That on top of three pillows seems to be kind of the perfect recipe. I don't like people to pick up anything too heavy. So for most people, I say, don't pick up anything heavier than a full kettle in each hand, which translates for Chelsea patients into a full Birkin bag. <laughs> the next thing I say is you God, don't do you want... you know your client, don't you? I know my client. Um, the next thing I think is important is they mustn't bend forwards. Because if you bend forwards, you can almost feel the blood pressure going up in the face. So they need to keep the head up. So again, depending on the client... If they're sporty types, I say if you've skied in Austria, don't bend forwards, bend the knees. If they're more, again, Chelsea, Kensington, Notting Hill types who've done ballet, plie, madam, plie. <laughs> Raj, you said to me when I first came to see you, I can take 10 years off your face and it will last for 10 years. So there's a sort of 10-year um, gap. Is that right? If I understood you properly? Yeah, so the average I would say you took 10 years off my neck. The actually. average time that it takes you back is about 10 years. Mm -hmm. It will... Listen, as soon as we've done the surgery, you start to age. Imagine... It's so irritating, that, that bit. The, imagine the patient has an identical twin sister. So if you had an identical twin sister, Fiona, and we've treated you but not her, of course you're going to get older. But even 10 years later... When still probably better. the effect of the surgery is gone, you're still going to look better than your She's sister. She's my Dorian Gray. So, so we've rewound the clock. But it's difficult and do women to do... often come to you and say, can I have another one, can I have another one? I mean, I think there is that. Definitely, I know that it exists in me, that, you know, I examine myself in the mirror, so I see is... things, you know, it's two years on, I'm thinking, ooh. Well, this is where ethics come into it. Mm. Ethics can be very complicated, or it can be really simple. I come from a medical family. My father told me so many rules, simple things when I, when I was starting in practice. One of them was ever so simple. He said, this is not a business, Rajiv. This is a medical practice. The way to treat people well, imagine it's your wife, sister, mother, aunt. And whenever you put the doctor, surgeon in that position and you ask them, if this was your wife, sister, mother, aunt, would you say this is a good idea? You get the right answer. Mm. And actually for the surgeon, that's the key. So you come back in two years, we're going to have a lovely chat. I might say there might be some things you can do to maintain the result. If we think about having a remote control, imagine we had the Fiona remote control in our hand. Think of Which surgery. me onto mute, I think. <laughs> <laughs> think. Think of surgery as the rewind button. Mariam is the slow motion button. Yes. Because all the things that she offers are basically slowing down, preserving the face, maintaining the result of a facelift. One thing that I'm finding is really helpful now, which I wasn't using so much before, but I, I, I'd offer my patient, I send them to Mariam, would be a treatment called Profilo, which is, uh, it's like a filler, but it's not a filler. So the thing that fillers contain is hyaluronic acid. Hyaluronic acid is a sugar, and it's used as a gel to plump up wrinkles, to add volume to the face. But one of its other qualities, two qualities, firstly, it draws in water. 
Secondly, it stimulates collagen. So some Italian manufacturers have formulated uh, a type of hyaluronic acid which is very highly concentrated, so it's going to draw in lots of water, it's going to stimulate lots of collagen, but it's very runny. So when you, when you inject it under the face, it spreads out. So it's not adding volume, but it's like an injectable moisture jab that draws water in from below and stimulates collagen. And I think this is a great thing for either preventing the need for a facelift, or if you've had a facelift, maintaining the result. Now, we do love that. We, uh, we, we do the love that. Profiling. Profiling. But having said that, I do think that there's a certain point where what I do non-surgically is not to their benefit. So there is a point when you have too much skin, that's when I send them to you and they might say, you know what, I've already been there. And Rajiv has said to wait a few more years. I, I do like the fact that you're very conservative with that. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a big deal and it's got to deliver for the patient. And I think a few observations I would make Firstly, are this, that I think surgery, I would call it the tip of the iceberg. Imagine an iceberg. The majority is below the surface of the water. That, if you like, is what non-surgical techniques are doing. But actually, surgery isn't even the bit above the water. It's the seagull sitting on top of the iceberg, because it's really only a tiny proportion of the population, maybe 0.01% that has surgery. But there's so much that can be done to avoid surgery. But if you are a good candidate for surgery and it can be done in a nice way, in a safe way, it does deliver a great result. I'm of the age where a lot of people are starting to talk about it and uh, within my own social group. And I'm, I'm not one who thinks that you should do surgery to prevent a falling face later. I, I always think that if there's a symptom, there are things that you can do to improve and prolong the need for surgery. But some people say, you know, the, it's better if you do surgery earlier. So some people say if you do surgery in your early 40s, then you're going to look better at 55 and that uh, then the next facelift will be less noticeable. The other thing is, is people don't want to look dramatically different. So they want to look a better version of themselves, but they don't want to, uh, to walk into a dinner party and say, oh my gosh, who did your facelift? You know, they just want to say, wow, you look really well rested. And there is that sort who of sweet you so spot. Well <laughs> no, but you know, there is that sort of sweet spot where uh, you can't tell exactly what someone's done, but you know, they look better as opposed to having, of course, the surgeon's technique and having that beautiful light touch and being able to uh, to guide your patients with the right aftercare. But is there is there a sort of where you would think is um, that sweet spot? So uh, the question I'm often asked if I see a younger patient is they say, Dr. Grove, I'd like to do this before it needs doing. I've been to see some surgeons and they've said that they're happy to lift. The comment I often make is, I'm not sure what they're lifting. Is it the face or is it the purse? Because honestly, at that stage, where it doesn't even look like it needs doing, why would you undergo a surgical operation? I mean, as I say, no scars. one's ever... I think that's great. back to that, what you know, yeah, my friend's so saying I, about under, you know, that sort of around 50 spot. Where so I don't see many people under no, 50, unless maybe no. they've had a lot of weight loss for some reason. But after 50, even then... 80% of my patients are coming when there's really a significant amount of loose skin. And they're good candidates because there's no question about the indication for doing it. We know that we're going to be able to remove a significant amount and make a big difference. There's 20% that don't want to let it get to that point and they want it to look natural. But even then, you shouldn't really do it too early because it's still quite a big thing to undergo when you don't really need something. But I can reassure patients... If it's done naturally, you'd be surprised. Even the people that if you put the before and after side by side, there's a really big difference. If work is natural, people don't notice that it's been done because it still looks like you. So they don't need to be fearful that they're going to walk into a room and people can ask them about their facelift. It's not about when it was done. It's more about how, how it was, it was done. done. I've heard people who've come to see you who you've said, come go away and lose weight before you come and see me? Is weight a big factor as to when you feel that you're happy to work on somebody's face? Again, I think weight has the impact of emptying the face slightly. So when you're heavier, in fact, it can make a face look nicer to be a little bit heavier, but if we're wanting to do surgery, we want it to be the most effective operation that we can possibly do. 
And actually, if you lose a little bit of weight, many people find the face becomes a little leaner. The effect that has is that the skin laxity is greater, so we can move more. And most importantly, the duvet of the face, which is underneath the bed cover, which is the smas, the muscular, the fatty layer of the face, that's the thing that we want to move to get a nice, youthful shape. And that moves more when it's looser. So I say to patients, if we want to do this, we want to do it at your fighting weight. We want to do it when you're at the lowest that you can safely be. I don't mind if you gain weight afterwards. It'll make you look even better. But I want to do this when I can achieve the most for you. So after I came to see you and I had this this procedure, which I'm thrilled with, um, I did notice, you know, my neck's still not, you know, I don't have the neck of, of Audrey Hepburn. I don't know why not, but I don't. And But you, so I want to discuss the sort of aftercare that you can do for your neck. You gave me some injections of Botox still under my chin. We profiled my neck. What do you recommend for as it were, the sort of next skin quality, skin quality in the next five years of, of maintenance, once I've made that kind of investment into having said new neck, um, so what, we, what things can I do to maintain it? What does a facelift do? We are lifting the canvas, we're lifting the muscle and the, and the fatty layer underneath the skin. We're not changing the canvas. So if the canvas has had sun exposure, if it's had some changes that we can't reverse that's not really going to be changeable but what we can do is to try and maintain it the best we can with slow motion it's not going to stop it it's Mm. not going to stop the clock and i think the profilo is helpful because it hydrates and the neck particularly is an area that if we look at the skin under the microscope there's really not as many oily glands and sebaceous glands as there are in the face and it has the full effect of gravity so it's thinner than facial skin it's less moisturized than facial skin it has more effect of gravity than facial skin. So it's really challenged. But what Profilo does is it stimulates collagen, it hydrates. If we talk about the use of Botox, some people, Fiona, you're one of them, is that you have these muscular bands, and these muscular bands are continually trying to pull the skin down. They Imagine are. They are. They are. any part of the face where you've got something pulling it down all the time. That's that's but a, is that just me with muscular bands? No, Sorry, or every, just, does everybody have, does Marianne, why haven't you got Mar- muscular bands? But, but not I, I Botox mine too. They're not Can we Botox, Botox and now. profile in my neck, please? I have one final question because, you know, we could go on forever and ever with um, Rajiv, but trends in, in lower facelifts, America versus Europe, what do you see as the trends between the two? And, and is there a difference between you know, what you see uh, your colleagues doing on the other side of the pond? So I, we have something in common, Marion. We've both trained both sides of the pond. Yes. So, so I was fortunate in my training. I spent some time at Harvard, and I've done a lot of my training in this country. When I went to Boston and worked there, um, I was interested to find there's actually a lot, there's not a lot of difference between the actual surgery being done there and here. The techniques are very similar the way you do it, in fact, surgery is, is a craft. It's not that different anywhere in the world. But what was different about what was going on there, people that wanted to do something, they specialised. And just like you, I specialise in the face. A lot of plastic surgeons maybe in this country, they do a little bit of everything. I think it really makes a difference if you specialise in something. And and it's it's not just about the surgery. It's everything leading up to the surgery and following the surgery. So preparing a patient for surgery, aftercare, what you do, paying it attention to detail. That's the kind of American approach, which to be fair, we're doing here. Many people are doing here very well. I don't see a lot of difference between the actual facelifting techniques. And nowadays there are worldwide conferences where everybody, you know, the world is a small place now. Everything is globalized. I attend conferences. I'm, I'm attending a conference in Miami in a few weeks time from my study because things are being streamed live. You get to see all of these things in real time as if you were there. So techniques are being shared. I don't see a lot of difference. What I would say that I think is a future trend is we need to treat more holistically our patients. What we really need to get is this isn't just about looking good. It's about feeling Feeling good. good. I agree. And if we look about how people feel and raise their confidence and raise the way they feel inside, we actually can treat them better. Because it's all about having an experience. When people... I've spent a little bit of time in your waiting room. Before I even came into the room where we're doing this podcast, 
when I came from the ground floor into the Mariam zone, do you know, I knew I was there because everything about it is preparing them to be with you. The colour of the chair, the, you know, the paintings that you have on the wall there, the Warhol, everything there is tailored to become a little bit like you. So everything that you you're understand doing... understand what You understand the language of what yeah. you're, you're going to get. One of the things that I commonly have is that I think people come to me with something they shouldn't be worried about. There are people that are quite critical of themselves and I think the world we live in now with lots of social media, with Instagram has made people very introspective about how they look and they don't need to be like that. The best story I have to summarise this was a husband that came with his wife to discuss facial surgery and actually I thought she looked really good and I said that to her and, and, and he actually told me a nice story. He said, Dr Grover, the difference between me and my wife is this. She's absolutely lovely and gorgeous, but when she looks in the mirror at home, she sees an older person who's heavier and not as beautiful. I, I'm very average, I'm overweight, I'm losing my hair, but when I look in the mirror, I keep seeing George Clooney. Roger, <laughs> <laughs> if one very quick final question, and it's the vulgar one, what prices are we looking at so we can tell our, our listeners the kind of average cost of a, of, of a face if... It's difficult to answer because genuinely, you know Everyone's something, I'm a doctor, I never talk money and I actually, I always send everybody to my secretary and she deals with all the finances, she's the one that tells you the cost of the surgery, the anaesthetic fee, the hospital costs and everything and puts it all together. And everyone's a little bit different, I have people, 50 or 60% of my patients are having surgery, they may have had surgery elsewhere, so they're a revision, so there isn't really a one cost. So everything is put together in a bespoke way. The one thing that I would say for patients, when they come, they know every penny they're going to have to pay from beginning to end. That includes the, all their follow-up for a year, every paracetamol, every investigation. Yeah. The one fee they get covers everything. Okay. Excellent. It just remains for us to say, Rajiv, thank you so, so much for coming to see us. It's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you. I can't believe that we've spent the time so quickly. I know, it goes and by. It's been great fun. Thank you very and much. And I'm not afraid to go on Skype anymore. <laughs> Make sure you follow us on Instagram at the guinea pig podcast. Plus you can email us at the guinea pig pod at gmail.com and see you next week. See you next week. The guinea pig provides unbiased information to those who may be considering cosmetic surgery or even trialing a non-invasive treatment or product. We do not endorse the use of any product or procedure featured in this podcast and are not responsible for the outcome of any of the treatments featured on this podcast or damage caused in connection with any treatments or products. Should you decide to try any of the procedures, treatments or products mentioned in any episode of The Guinea Pig, you do so at your own risk. Always consult an independent and fully qualified medical professional if you are considering embarking on a medical procedure, irrespective of whether it's an invasive or non-invasive procedure.